The following is a presentation of WAER Sports, the original home of the Orangemen. It's a huge deal for young girls playing softball and for all of us covering the Women's College World Series, the college players, to be able to talk again about the dream of playing in the Olympics and what a big deal that is. They do so in a day littered with questions. They're on their way to the quarterfinals if it happens on one of the wackiest days that you can possibly remember. And fans, due to unforeseen circumstances, the game tonight has been postponed. You are all safe. The sports world has come to a screeching halt. The league has made a decision to end this year's Atlantic Coast Conference men's basketball tournament. Hop, let's stay safe. Let's stay safe, Jack. From WAER Sports, this is Talkback. I'm Cooper Boardman. On this week's episode, we deal with the idea of absence, what the void of sports has and hasn't left behind. We'll hear from some of the announcers who have watched this stop from the collegiate level specifically. We're going to hear about championship runs that got cut short, seniors who never got that final game, and most importantly, a whole lot of questions about the future. Before we go any further, a reminder, subscribe to TalkBack wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter at WAER Sports and on SoundCloud. Just search WAER. Anish Shroff graduated from Syracuse in 2004. You'll see him on ESPN during college football and basketball season. But Shroff is best known for his passion as the voice of the NCAA Men's Lacrosse Final Four. Petey LaSalle not shying away from this matchup. LaSalle to the cage! No stage too big for the freshman. We'll hear what Anish thinks the future of college lacks looks like right now. The WAER's Gil Gross Shroff also talked about the effects sports have had on his life along with his Indian-American heritage. You're growing up in New Jersey listening to Yankees baseball on your pocket radio. Yeah. Who, who, were the broad, who were the Yankees broadcasters uh, during that time? Well, John Sterling was still there, and Michael Kay was the number two. It'll be a 2-2. Swung on and hit in the air to deep left. Jones back toward the track at the wall. It is gone! A three-run home run, and the Yankees have tied the game. I used to fall asleep listening to those guys. It was a lot of John Sterling and Michael Kay on the radio. It was a lot of Mike and the Mad Dog. Um, and then we didn't have cable where I grew up, so it was watching a lot of the national sports was on. I watched it. So whether that was Monday Night Football with Al Michaels or uh, NBA on NBC, I loved like, that was. Costas and Marv. I mean, uh, the game opens that Costas used to do. This is the NBA on NBC. The 1996 NBA Finals. And after two years away, the NBA Finals return to Chicago. Those are magical. I mean, the way he can turn a phrase and um, set a scene. And his vocabulary, his use of words, his use of the right word, 
I always felt he made you smarter. But tonight, they find themselves in the unaccustomed role of underdog. He was the reason I went to Syracuse. I mean, I make no bones about it. Koskis was my idol growing up. What's your advice for people who don't see themselves represented in media? Who cares? I didn't think of it. I didn't see it, and I didn't realize that I didn't see it until I had already made it, which was probably a good thing. And I think a lot of times we get so caught up in, there's nobody like me doing this. Okay, so why does that mean you can't do it? I never once looked around and looked at that wall and said, hey, there's nobody that looked at me. And I always kind of said, you know, why can't I do it? Shruff has done it. He's just begun his 12th year with ESPN, and he might be the most qualified person in the country to talk about what's next for lacrosse. We'll also hear from Kevin Fitzgerald. For the last four years, Kevin's been the voice of the Columbia Fireflies. That's the Class A affiliate of the New York Mets. Cedarland fires. Curveball smashed deep into left. Back near the wall. This one is carrying, and it's gone. We are tied. This year, Fitzgerald was ready for a full college baseball season on ACC Network, in addition to his usual basketball season. A New Jersey native, Fitzgerald also grew up a Knicks fan, so he's trying to fill the void of athletics just like the rest of us. That Knicks fan in you and just all of sports world, how is the loss of sports, whether it be spring collegiate sports or your beloved Knicks, um, impacted you as a sports fan? I will say this, the Knicks are undefeated since March 12th. <laughs> they are actually they're undefeated. Yeah, it, it's I'm telling you, I'm I'm restless. First week was like a nice week to catch your breath. But yeah, ever since I'm I'm restless. I'm restless like everybody else. You know, like opening day passed. To, to be quite honest with you, I'm, you know, the NBA, I, I love the NBA playoffs. The, the NCAA tournament is so iconic that is that's something even that stretches back to my childhood where like that first thursday that first friday of the ncaa tournament was that's must watch tv i'm, I'm in front of the television like everybody else is or when when those dates passed like whoa we don't have any games yeah there's a void left if not for the re-air of iconic uh you know NBA games, you got the Cavs Warriors series was on ESPN, you know, from, from a few years ago. I think it was Wednesday night. You've got old Monday night football, um, you know, gems from, from years past games that were outstanding. So, I, like, that's actually helped. A couple of nights ago, ESPN aired um, the return of baseball to New York. And that was the Mets against the Braves. 10 days after the events of September 11th in 2001. I mean, there were, you know, again, there were thoughts of this game, you know, again, a week and a half after 9-11 of, of this series being moved to Atlanta. I mean, there, like there were thoughts that they weren't even going to play at Shea Stadium. Um, I, I, that one is fresh as like, can you imagine being on the call for a moment like that? Lopez wants it away. And it's hit deep to left center. Andrew Jones on the run. This one has a chance. Home run by Piazza. And the Mets lead 3-2. to That was more than just a game. And it, and it culminated with Mike Piazza hitting that home run, bottom of the eighth inning, um, to, to give the Mets a, a lead and to basically 
help lift the spirits of a city and a country. So that that one is like, you know, I, I've been talking about that game all week with, with colleagues and friends and just watching it a couple of days ago was reference goosebumps like that game. Just thinking about that one gives you chills. Those are the kinds of moments we all miss right now. And the person to talk to about moments is Beth Moens. She spent more than two decades at ESPN covering men's and women's sports at the collegiate level. Beth has also been heard on the NFL since 2015. Sam Donald with time, looking deep downfield into the end zone. Touchdown Jets, Robbie Anderson. While we're not quite ready to talk about football yet, Moens also calls the Women's College World Series, which is of course now canceled. WAER's Jenna Fink chatted with Beth about that and how she ended up at SU. Going back to some of the basics of, of why you chose, obviously you didn't go to Syracuse for undergrad, but you went for grad, why you chose to come to Syracuse. Well, I am from the area. I grew up in North Syracuse, so I always knew uh, of Newhouse and, and always was a huge fan of Syracuse sports growing up. So that was always, you know, uh, sort of in the back of my mind that, you know, I, I went to Lafayette College um, to play basketball. And then I, I always kind of thought, well, you know what, I, I think I might come back full circle. So what was it like for you the first time? You know, in the Dome, you'd grown up watching the teams, but then actually getting to call a game. Oh, it was fabulous. Uh, and, and one of the things that was always great for me was there was a, a built-in sense of history. You know, just to, to be able to, you know, wear the orange and to wear it with pride. And now everywhere we go in the working world, you're running into other Syracuse people. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it's just... There's a respect there. There's a, there's a passion there. There's a real sense of pride. Uh, of uh, brotherhood and sisterhood with all the people that have passed through those doors. To understand what sports means to us is also to acknowledge it will be back. Too many people care for it to stay away forever. But perspective can only add so much in a situation filled with unknowns. You know, as a former athlete yourself, like, did you, can you imagine what these athletes were going through when they heard that they weren't going to finish their season? I mean, it's unprecedented. We, we've never had anything like this in our lifetime. You know, the, uh, the Final Four has been played forever, and, uh, you know, baseball season has, has you know, been played even, even throughout World War II. It, it's hard to fathom kind of what the athletes are, are going through. I know how heartbroken I would have been if, that if this would have ended my season early, um, with the understanding that it, it, it had to be done and it was the right thing to do. but. I'm glad the NCAA decided that they would give um, seniors an opportunity to come back another year if they so choose. But it's got to be really tough to have geared up your whole career. You know, I think of even Sabrina Ionescu on the basketball side, and the, you know, the reason she came back was to try and win a championship with her teammates, and, and you're so close to getting that opportunity to, to play for it, and, and then all of a sudden it's, uh, it's no longer there. It's got to be devastating. 2020 never seemed to get off the ground. The tragic news of Kobe Bryant's death was the first thing to rock the sports world. Good afternoon from New York. We're coming on the air with breaking news, very sad news to tell the sports world. The LA Times is reporting that retired Los Angeles Lakers basketball star Kobe Bryant has been killed in a helicopter crash. Sabrina Ionescu found herself in her senior season at Oregon 
with a new weight on her shoulders. As records fell. And there is Sabrina Ionescu with the rebound. She has just become the first player in Division I history with 2,000 points, 1,000 assists, and 1,000 rebounds. A historic mark set by Sabrina Ionescu. Expectations rose for Ionescu and her impact on the sport. At Kobe's memorial service, it was the 22-year-old who seemed to most clearly grasp the power that we rarely recognize. He united us. He made it so that the outsiders who outworked everyone else, who were driven to be just a little bit different every single day, to make those around them, behind them, and above them a little bit better every single day. And they weren't the exception, they were the rule. I wanted to be a part of the generation that changed basketball for Gigi and her teammates, where being born female didn't mean being born behind, where greatness wasn't divided by gender. You have too much to give to stay silent. That's what he said. That's what he believed. That's what he lived. The cancellation of NCAA sports ended Ionescu's career with the Ducks. It was two months after the death of her idol. Both were devastating losses, and what follows that is grief. And just as sports did for us, we need to come together. This time I was thinking about Kobe and Gigi. His voice is still in my head. I heard his voice in my head, the last line from one of his books. Walk until the darkness is a memory and you become the sun on the next traveler's horizon. Today may feel like darkness. He was, in so many ways, a sun, beaming, radiating, fixed in the sky. In many ways, we're all in a darkness now. That has affected sports as a whole, but every corner of it has a special story. For Beth Mowens, the Women's College World Series is a pinnacle event. Here's Jenna Fink again. You know, you called your first NCAA champ, uh, championship game in 1994, and you've been broadcasting it uh, ever since. How have you seen the popularity of the sport really increase uh, and change since then? It, it's, been, it's been incredible, really. When, when you think about where it was when we first started out there, we, we didn't even have a full production truck. I think we had half of a TV truck. And we only showed up to call the finals, and it was tape delayed. and you know, to where we are now, where we have a compound and a couple hundred people that show up to work that event. It, it's really been phenomenal to see the growth, uh, to see the fan base, and and to, just to see the, the general interest in all things softball, I think, has been one of the, the things I've been most proud of is to have been a part of the crews that have been able to provide that tournament year in and year out and, and all the amazing people that are so passionate about covering the sports. It's one of the things people all the time are telling us, hey, how do we get to be a part of the coverage? All the folks behind the scenes um, that want to come work in Oklahoma City with us. And we take a lot of pride in that. Uh, and, and it's one of the things that I, I think will really be missed from the sports landscape in a, in a couple of months when we're not able to, to play that in, in a brand spanking new stadium that was adding several thousand new seats. So that also speaks to the growth of the game for sure. Do you have a favorite game or favorite moment that you've had to call from softball? Boy, there, there have been some awfully good ones. To the top of the 17th, then the longest game in championship series history. It's only game one, best two out of three. We are tied at four apiece. Oklahoma coming back up. I, 
I would probably say the seven in, 17 innings game stands out from a couple of years ago in the championship series when Oklahoma beat Florida in 17 innings. Struck her out. Paige Lowry ends it with the K of Kavistad. And Shay Knighton's three-run home run in the 17th inning wins game one for Oklahoma. Last year was another fantastic finish, our, our first walk-off to win a national championship in, I think, 27 years. A little flare, and that will get down in front of a view. Probert to the plate to throw, and she's safe, and UCLA makes it an even dozen. And they are back on top with a 12th national championship. And, and then probably I, I would have to say 2005, which was the first year of the championship series. The Wolverines have never been here before, looking for their first ever softball national championship. When Michigan beat UCLA, and it was the first time that a team east of the Mississippi River had won the national championship. And Finley launches that one deep. And that really uh, trumpeted the spread of the sport and the popularity of the sport and brought it really to the Midwest and, and certainly to the Southeast and the growth of the SEC. Hello and welcome back to the Seven Innings Podcast. Today is one of our favorite days because it is all about the greatest college slugger in softball history. I saw you were doing that podcast. I saw you posted on Twitter with doing it with Holly Rowe and some other softball broadcasters. What's that been like? I mean, changing to, you know, doing everything digitally and doing everything remotely. It's kind of crazy. We have put together our seven innings podcast crew and it, you know, as everybody does now, it looks kind of like that Brady Bunch uh, open where, you know, you have a bunch of faces on the screen and we just cover a bunch of different softball topics. Our, our big thing now is we're, doing the greatest softball slugger of all time. So we've put together a bracket. We have a <laughs> fictional selection committee that we're having a lot of fun with. Let's go back up to the top right now. Lauren Chamberlain and Jill Justin. And uh, Kim, the PR superstar, has the fan vote numbers on that one, the 1-8 matchup. Yep, so it's going to be 94% of the vote Ooh. with Lauren Chamberlain. That that's got to be one of the one of the highest numbers that we're going to see all day. All right, let's uh, let's go back to Bro right now and let's get some votes in Chamberlain or Justin. Uh, that's an easy Chamberlain. You know, trying to you know occupy some people's times and, and give them a chance to get away from you know a lot of the tough news of the day and, and give give folks a little bit of a break for a little while. The other uh, uh, big story this week is the return of the Olympics after the postponement. It has been announced that they will be playing same time next year in Tokyo. That is the plan right now. So it would be end of July into early August. How meaningful and important are the games in Tokyo once they are held for softball as a sport? Well, I, I think it's going to be huge. Uh, and if the schedule stays the same as it would have been this summer, softball was actually going to be kicking off NBC's coverage. The softball tournament was going to start actually a couple of days before um, the opening ceremonies and was going to be one of the first team gold medals awarded at the game. So hopefully that will remain the same next summer. It's a huge deal for 
young girls playing softball and for all of us covering the Women's College World Series, the college players, to be able to talk again about the dream of playing in the Olympics and what a big deal that is and the preparation all summer long for whatever the U.S. national team will look like year in and year out. So it's a huge deal to be able to talk about the Olympics when we're, when we're at the Women's College World Series and covering college softball. And, and we'll be able to do that for the next eight years or so at least, which will be nice. Well, and July 23rd. I mean, that's the thing. It's like there's a date. So when we do the podcast, of course, we have a couple of, of a former Olympians with us, Michelle Smith and Jessica Mendoza. Like that is so huge. You know, we just talked about the mentality of being able to like, even just virtual meetings, seeing your teammates. Like I know as an athlete, like postponement, that word, it sounded like cancellation, right? It's like, it's not happening. It's not happening. Now there's a date. They have always told these amazing stories about uh, going to the Olympics and competing and life in the Olympic village and, and what a, an amazing life experience it is. And, and then, of course, we talked to a lot of the current Olympians and did a special show after it was announced that the games would be postponed until next year. And just, you know, you could see it. We, we, you, you could see it on their faces. You could hear it in their voices. Just the disappointment, uh, the hope that it would return quickly and, and that they would have a chance to all play together. The U.S. team, for example, had already been chosen. So we certainly think that that team will be able to stay together if they all choose to come back and play next summer. So I think that was the big thing, just the disappointment and the uncertainty of putting everything they had into preparing for this for the last couple of years, at least for some of them a lifetime. All of those dreams are on hold as they are throughout the entire sports world. For the last four years, Kevin Fitzgerald's watched minor league baseball players chase their MLB dreams. This season, he was going to see college players going after their own professional careers. Here he is with Jaron May. I was really excited to see it from the other side of things and, and not just, okay, here they are before professionals, but, you know, why do we love college sports? I mean, because of the, uh, there is a, uh, a desire, there's a thirst for college sports so when you when you go to that that series of, between North Carolina and Duke or you go to that Miami Florida State baseball series like mostly I, I was excited to, to to continue to kind of live and breathe um, among the fan bases and in, in in this case college baseball but as for all of us that's on hold right now so we will wait and see until next season right now, what were, for the ACC, were there any stories about, whether it be about players, coaches, teams, fans, whatever it may be, that you were really looking forward to tell this season that you knew about, that you were preparing to tell, but now you can't tell those stories? I think there was one, I referenced that game from a couple of weeks ago. I mean, one that we did end up sharing was one I was really looking forward to. I called a Florida State game with Gabby Sanchez a couple of weeks ago. This one is juiced down the line. If it's there, that one is gone. It hit the circus. There was a, a player on Florida State's roster. His name is Dylan Simmons. Plays first base. Plays a little outfield as well. And this is someone who, as a freshman, he just just enrolled at Florida State. This was his freshman season. Someone who overcame 
cancer as recently, as recently as just a few months before he enrolled at Florida State. This is someone who I'm, I'm reading some great articles from, um, from the beat reporters that cover Florida State athletics. Uh, Simmons was, uh, uh, was diagnosed with cancer during, I think it was the tail end of his high school senior year, obviously had to fight it the entire summer. He fought it so, you know, amazingly where he was uh, when he enrolled at florida state he was ready to go like he this was someone who throughout the summer not only fought and defeated cancer but maintained a playing weight was lifting weights was actually physically ready uh, to compete with florida state for its fall schedule and uh, I, I think that just shows like those are the stories that um, i enjoy telling because it it showcases a few things. I mean, it showcases the athlete that we're there to cover, and it showcases courage, bravery, you know, the spirit of someone like Dylan Simmons. So, yeah, those are the stories that are obviously on hold. In baseball, we won't get to see Dylan Simmons and the Knowles try to get back to the College World Series. That's something FSU did last year. In lacrosse, we'll, of course, miss the chance to see could Penn State win a national title after losing in the Final Four? And could the number one ranked Syracuse lacrosse team finally get back to the top? Anish Shroff knows this sport as well as anyone. He'll miss those things too in lacrosse, but there's something greater. Once you get past all that, and every team would have their own individual case, I think the one unifying theme is these guys really never got to say goodbye. And I go back to when I was a senior in college, didn't matter that I didn't play on a sports team, but you had your friends and you had your colleagues and you had the people that you worked with and drank with and partied with and hung out with and, and went to dinner and breakfast and lunch with. You got to say goodbye. To That's what your second semester of your senior year was. And for a team, you know, every year there's only really one senior class, right? And, and no one really got a chance to say goodbye. I feel that's what was lost. And those are things you can't really replace. Those are moments. And those are moments you remember being in that locker room, that final speech before that last game. Um, you know, I've had a couple of players tell me, you know, we would have liked to have, have had a chance to lose that last game. You know, we don't know how our season would have ended, but we thought we could have made a run and we would have liked to have had that chance to lose that last game and just be with everybody one more time. That was robbed for, for everybody. What's going what's gonna to feel different about next year? There's going to be more anticipation for next season than probably any season in the history of the sport because of the way things ended in 2020. Things didn't end. Things were halted. We never saw Act 4 5. We only got up to Act 3. So I think you have that factor alone. People are starved for this sport. And that's not just lacrosse. People are going to be starved for the return of sports in general. And I think lacrosse and its kind of niche um, and bubbly community there's going to be a greater appetite for the sport than ever before. With the rule that seniors can come back and everybody retains a year of extra eligibility, the, the, the third string midfielder may not come back. He may not be wanted back. Coaches are not going to want every senior back, but the stars you hope will be back. You know, you heard Michael Krause won't be coming back and Grant Amen won't be coming back, but, uh, you know, Michael Sowers has withdrawn from Princeton to preserve his year of eligibility because of the Ivy. Sowers now looking to attack. Great spin move and a score! 
to expect him back. This kid's ridiculous. That, that was <laughs> ridiculous. You expect uh, a lot of other key players. Chris Gray will be back in North Carolina. Syracuse returns, you know, four of seniors. There's going to be more star power in the sport. Then you add in the freshmen and you bring in, you know, a couple of big names. The biggest one being the Midi at Duke, Brennan O'Neill, who is probably the biggest recruit to come to college lacrosse since Shamel and Ramel Bratton did for Virginia, you know, 10 plus years ago. So, you know, that kid's supposed to be a game changer. So influx of fresh talent, you have all the returning star power coming back or at least a good chunk of it. So I think you're going to have more talent on the field next year than at any time in the history of the game. The NCAA uh, last week announced that they would provide an extra year of eligibility for all spring sport athletes, regardless of year. So you don't need to be a senior, regardless of if you, of, of what class you were in, you get that extra year. What was your reaction to that news? It was a half measure because the second part of that would be to give the schools a little bit more money where they can allocate it to uh, some more scholarships, you know, to make room, and give the returning players a chance to come back and also have enough scholarships for the incoming players. The NCAA basically said, hey, we know from a PR standpoint, the right thing to do is to say, give everybody an extra year of eligibility. So all the freshmen are now redshirt freshmen. Sophomores are redshirt sophomores. The seniors can all come back. Great. Well, now you got freshmen who are coming in. And, and take lacrosse, for example. You have 12.6 scholarships to divvy up. Well, that number doesn't change. It puts coaches in a tough line where you have to have hard conversations. For some families, again, you know, it may have taken a lot, even if they were getting some money from these schools. If, if half of their scholarship was covered, for some families, paying that other half might have taken everything that they had. And they could do that and barely make ends meet. So now, hey, what's more important, your kid graduating and going into the workforce or you having to live paycheck to paycheck, hand him out one more year so he can play another season of lacrosse? So I don't think they really did the schools, the student athletes and the coaches a ton of favors by not giving them more scholarships. I mean, why can't you increase that scholarship number? And again, part of that is when you get rid of March Madness and you cancel the NCAA tournament, you've taken away a big revenue stream, especially for mid-majors, especially for the non-Power 5 programs. With college football in jeopardy, that could really complicate things down the line. But again, I think you cross that bridge when you get there. Uh, but in the here and now, I think they've made it really difficult uh, on schools right now to manipulate and manage the limited scholarships that they have. The scholarship concerns are similar in college baseball. Just like lacrosse, the universities are left with the task of figuring it out. And then the question, what do the finances all of this look like? A lot of these universities, I mean, a lot of, essentially all of them are going to be impacted financially due to the loss of a conference tournament, due to the loss of an NCAA tournament, due to the loss of revenue. I mean, think about it. There's, there are no... Uh, games that a university, a, a baseball or softball program will be holding that, uh, you know, you look at their schedule, think of how many home games a, a specific program was going to have. So I think there's still, while it's a uh, no question the right move, I think, by the NCAA, I think there's still, this is going to be a lengthy process to determine how, in fact, for each specific person or for each specific scholarship athlete, how things financially and scholarship-wise are going to shake out 
when we get closer and closer to the spring of next season, as we basically get close to the start of the 2020-21 athletic schedule. And who knows what that calendar looks like? In an article from Jason Stark of The Athletic, TCU baseball head coach Jim Schlossnagel said, quote, the biggest threat to college baseball is no college football season, end quote. A Michigan coach called it a doomsday scenario. Without football, there won't be baseball, there won't be volleyball, lacrosse, or softball. I think, um, you know, everything hinges on the college football season because it's so important for all the sports on the collegiate side. And so whether or not we will have an opportunity to bring football back and to bring the crowds back and to to let them play and, and, you know, get that television money that is so crucial to funding every sport in in most places athletic departments. So I I think that is the next big thing that that we'll all be keeping a very close eye on. And uh, because, you know, we're talking about giving an opportunity for the spring sports athletes. But what happens if we have to add the fall sport athletes to that as well? And and now we're talking about even more people that are depending on a lot of money coming in from football and from the men's basketball tournament that, that just won't be there. The logistics are overwhelming. The schools have so many decisions to make, and some of those choices won't include the third-line midfielder and the senior corner outfielder. What was lost, especially at the collegiate level, is lost, and in its place comes a deafening number of questions. Where does the money come from? Who will stay and who will go? And, perhaps most importantly, what do we do in the absence of sport? The one thing we do know is that it affects us all, and while we may not know the solutions, the best ones will come from us working together. Thanks for joining us for the second episode of Talkback. Also, a huge thank you to Anish Roth, Kevin Fitzgerald, and Beth Mowens for their time. This was a WAER Sports podcast produced by Carl Moglein, along with reporting from Jenna Fink, Gil Gross, and Jaron May. I'm Cooper Boardman. We'll see you next week.